Welcome to Thinking Reimagined. Thinking Reimagined is a unique platform for thoughts provoking intergenerational dialogue in a diverse and inclusive setting with a focus on impactful change in the global workplace and community. Our stakeholders' conversations aim to spark thought, leadership, curiosity, engagement, collaboration, and learning amongst individuals, teams, and beyond. Enjoy, Enjoy this episode. episode and subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and other outlets. Hello, everyone. Welcome again. It's the Thinking Reimagined podcast. I am Mr. Nielsen-Tree. A lot has been said about unemployment, but on the show today, we're talking about employability, which I believe has to do with um, the capacity of getting a job and keeping it which is also very key because um, many people have the opportunity but they not just know how to get the jobs so we're looking at employability we're looking at mentorship as well as sponsorship so what are your thoughts keep the comments rolling dr Anna, how are you today i am very well thank you and absolutely excited that we're having this conversation because as you know COVID has really disrupted how we work, how we live. And we're at the point now, certain keywords keep popping up, you know, whether people, whether it's the great resignation, which I call the great awakening or the great exit um, for mental health issues or the need to do work that's more meaningful um, to being able to secure employment. So it's important for us. And I'm glad that we're having a conversation today on um, employability because what are the skills that people really need in order to work and succeed and have a sense of fulfillment which usually keeps them in the workplace and then when you talk about mentorship you know isn't it wonderful when you have a mentor that can guide you and help you grow within your chosen um, career field and of course sponsorship I know that you can speak eloquently to those two subjects given the the very um, keen mentor that you have had um, Nifemi. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this diverse and dynamic conversation today with our panelists. Absolutely. I'm also glad you could make it because um, you're a chief mentor yourself, so you're bringing your years of experience to be in this conversation. We have um, the BC Alamy joining the conversation and Felix. Hi, BC. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's really lovely to be part of, of this conversation today. And I just wanted to uh, add to something that uh, Dr. Amma said. Um, as someone who employs people um, in Nigeria, I'm really, really excited to, to talk about this, to share my frustration, but also to share the, the lessons that I've learned over the past six years um, that I've now, I think at this stage, I have about seven people that are employed under me. And it has not been easy to, to get to this point where I have somebody that has been with me now for the past three going to four years and being able to keep that or already at the moment we're recruiting and I'm reading CVs and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, so it's about, it's about that. But also, it's just not so much about employability, just that. It's about retainship as well. So how do you retain 
the best talents that you have in the in the age of brain drain and people are moving up. But it's also about the new uh, the future of work, right? What 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 does it mean? Do we always have to be in the office? Are we becoming remote workers now? What are the systems or strategies that are going to tap into the strength of um, the labor market in a place like Nigeria? So I'm quite excited about this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I basically exactly. I have to say I understand that frustration because so many of the Okay, to use this phrase, university graduates just don't have those skill sets and you're having to guide them and mold them and they resist it and uh, they haven't had work experience. They don't even know what it means to come to the office and to be productive or how to communicate or how to work as a team. So this is a very um, salient conversation to have at this point in time with everything going on. Yeah. Hi, Philip. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I can hear you in the, uh, in the family. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let's kick start the conversation, Felix. So a lot they say have changed, you know, from the traditional jobs. Um, Ms. Uh, Dr. Amma just talked about um, post-COVID reality. Uh, but what do you think are those principal components, particularly when it comes to the ability to get it in our current reality? Uh, I think, um, um, like Dr. Arma said, is um, we have realized, I mean, post-COVID, uh, a lot of things are now possible. There are a lot of um, organizations or offices that didn't know that they, I mean, staff didn't even know that they can actually work from home. Um, some jobs never exploited this, um, explored, sorry, this um, aspect of um, reality, but with COVID, we realized that this is actually possible and it was even more effective as um, staffs were, as studies showed more productive working from home than even coming into the office. Um, however, with um, trends and developments and all of this in play, it's become more, I think more difficult for people to even uh, again gain employment because uh, the standards we are looking for um, or employers are looking for, people are not, um, uh, are not ready, like Dr. Obama rightly said earlier, people are not ready to get trained or to listen enough to, uh, like um, uh, BC said earlier, you, uh, you have to read through some applications or some uh, applications of, um, applicants to realize how badly, I mean, how badly things are, are getting. So people really um, are getting stuck. As not, I think I like the fact that um, where the conversation is currently going, I mean, the two topics of what we're looking at today, which say something uh, employability and mentorship, because uh, mentorship for currently right now has a, a whole, a big role to play in all of this, because people are looking at mental health, um, people are looking at um, this, this get rich quick um, scheme. Nobody really wants to work. So even those who are willing to work, the encouragement, they need too much, especially in our current climate, like our society in Nigeria, if we are to bring it home. So it's really not even encouraging to even to want to work. So the, the conversation is huge and it's big and it's not something like 
that can actually so i'm i'm actually like everyone excited to listen to this i'm more here at a listener today than just to because i, I i'm a startup uh, startup myself i'm an entrepreneur who's just getting into business so uh, i'm looking at mentors here i have my mentor here speaking i'm listening and i'm going to learn a lot from dr Aman. they see people who have done this and just learn and i'm basically here to learn today that's what i'm going to say well, Felix, thank you for joining us. You know, I do want to bring this caveat up, and I think it's important in this discussion. Um, the experience of um, employment globally varies, depends on where you are. In some areas, the digital age has been embraced and is possible. But when you bring it to the African continent and further down to Nigeria, one has to be realistic about the limitations that occur, whether it's the fact that there are not enough jobs because we've got issues of underemployment or that they do not even have the tools that they need to work remotely or the fact that there is still a cultural belief that you have to be in an office in order for you to quote unquote, quote, be productive. Um, but having said that, there's also the reality that um, working does require the formation of relationships. You know, you need to have a relationship for you to work. So making sure that you have those people skills, those human skills that enhance the potential to be employable is important, as well as having a mentor who will support you in the process of developing your career path and being on the right track so that you can have promotions, so you can you know, at some point in time, recognize that you've reached the zenith at some companies and you need to shift somewhere else to grow further. But I, I do think that there's some issues here that could be um, particular to the culture in Nigeria as well as beyond the Nigerian. So we, we tend to have a global view on this platform, but we certainly recognize that um, there's a bit of a focus here in terms of Nigeria as a whole. But I would like to hear from Bissy what his thoughts were because you know he's going through all these CVs and I've been through this process with the CVs. Everything looks nice and glossy. So Bissy, share with us what's going on with those CVs you're, going, you're coming through. Yeah, well, uh, before I, I go to the CVs, I actually wanted to uh, take up three things that, that you said that I think are very uh, poignant. Um, that is one, remote working. Since we started the foundation in Nigeria, we, we don't have an office and it was very deliberate. It was very, very deliberate for us, one, in the area of security, not for us to have an office, um, but two, I was very determined to change the culture of work right from the onset and with my with my um with my new business i'm using the same method i want to change the way that work happens and this was long before covid the foundation started in 2016 so long before covid i was very clear in my mind that i'm not going to have an office space so i questioned myself in a country like nigeria what what do i need to do i think the issue with remote working is, is of two things, right? And you said one of them is control. Um, a lot of Nigeria uh, leadership format is built around control. 
the ability to be able to see your staff, your staff and know that they are doing what you want them to do, which is about trust. Because you don't trust them, you cannot let them out of your sight. You, they, you have to be there with them. You, you, and because we, we build a culture, and it's a global thing, but the world is, is over learning it now, or is unlearning it. We build a culture of nine to five of expectant productivity. And we don't understand that. Maybe somebody cannot be productive between nine and 11 o'clock, but a person can be productive from 12 o'clock till 6 p.m. And that's okay. So the, the, the concept of the office hour needs to change. So what, what did I do to share my, my first experience? I realized that one, everybody in my team would need a computer. Everybody has a laptop. I realized that everybody will need internet. So we bought dongle for everybody. And every month we top up that uh, dongle so that everybody has got internet on their phone, uh, on, their, on their dongle so that they can use their computer to connect with it. And we are very specific about what we consider as working hours. And we see there is no fixed time of working hours. If there's a project that needs to be done, you get the project done. You tell us when you can finish the project and you get it done. But we put into consideration, you know, light and all of those things. And, and this is the flexibility that we can incorporate in Nigeria. Uh, I don't think this is a global thing, but I, like I said, I think that the, the issue is predominantly because employer, employers want to control. And because they want to control, they want to see what you're doing. And so if you're not productive at the time that they want you to be productive, it affects your own mental health as well, because you see yourself as a failure. And then they put pressure on you to say you have nine to five and you must do everything nine to five. But you might have an idea eight to, eight to 10 at night and you want to implement those ideas. I, are you being allowed to, or you cannot do that? And there's no sense of ownership from people. So you work in Nigeria, they don't even pay your salary. And when they pay, they pay you, you know, piecemeal. So you don't have a commitment to work. But in some cases where people do have commitment to work, they see their job as something that they are passionate about. And it doesn't matter, they can even pick up their computer and work on a Saturday or on a Sunday. It's because they have a level of commitment. And employers or leaders will have to rethink the relationship that they have with power and with control when it comes to management. Now, sorry for going on, on a rant, but <laughs> to answer the question around um, the CV, it was very interesting because we are recruiting for three positions. And one of them who happens to be a lawyer was graduated about two or three years ago, sent in a CV. And I was talking to my colleague there, our head of HR yesterday, said, can you understand what this person is saying? And we just couldn't piece together the English this person was trying to put together. And this is a law graduate that graduated about three or four years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm not one that, I'm, I don't have the best spoken English in the world, but I just, it just saddens me that the level of undereducation that we have, and, and we're competing on a global market, Dr. Dr. Amar, because I have somebody that I mentor in Lagos who works in tech, who is working from Ibadan for a fashion house in Germany. That is the future of work. It's based in Ibadan. He has his computer, he has his everything, and he runs, he works for a company in Germany. And we have to be able to build young people to understand 
that the world is open because somebody can be in their bedroom in London and be running a business in Nigeria and be working for a multinational business in Nigeria. That's the future of work and we have to be able to meet up to that demand. For now, I don't think the youth, the Nigerian youth are really ready for that. You know, okay, um, to see you. law graduates uh, who applied for a job. I think it's too generic to put every Nigerian youth together in one pool. No, I'm not putting every Nigerian youth uh, in one fold. But we have to be very realistic that the future of work is remote. Um, and the current situation for Nigerian youth in terms of being cultured or being, um, being nurtured, or I don't even know which other word to use for it, is that you have to go to an office, right? Um, and you have to be seen, and that is the, your level of productivity. But we are not going to also take away from the fact that ASU is going on strike. ASU has always been on strike. Nigerian, Nigerian students spend more time off school than they spend in school, right? And these are the people that are going to compete for international jobs. It is, it is not, it is not rocket science. It's not going to work because you look at uh, a 20 year old undergrad in the UK who is in front of his or our computer, who is answering questions at, who is 10 years, light years ahead of his or our compatriots in Nigeria. It's the reality. This is not a matter of, you know, trying to blacklist Nigerian youth. It's the reality of the world that we are seeing. And until something is done about it, the youth are not, the Nigerian youth are not going to be ready for international competition. It, it's a fact. You know what, what sorry, um, if I could just pick up from there, what Bissi is referring to is employability in the true sense of it, which goes beyond having a degree, having a certificate. Nigeria is very good at presenting, graduating students who have, I've said this many times, have the skill set to regurgitate what has been given to them. They take copious notes and they present it and the, the professor, the instructor wants to see what has been delivered in the lecture. And so they graduate, but they don't always come out of university with this skill set that sets them apart so that they can get the job and be able to perform that job. So simple things like teamwork, confidence building, um, critical thinking, curiosity, motivation. These are not things that are part of the fiber of learning in the culture. Um, it, they actually sort of squelch it and sort of diminish the value of being curious, diminish the value of being motivated. They, they don't think outside the box. And I, I say to many of our mentees all the time, open your aperture, look at what is going around you, teach yourself things, develop your skills, because very often you get hired for some of the external skills that you're not thinking about 
that you've put on your CV or somebody sees. And those are the things that make you a more rounded individual and more attractive to an employer. Um, the quality of the English, well, I, I don't think he's far off because I have been working with the female service students now for over a year. I've seen what they can do. We've had discussions. We've helped them to write CVs. We've supported them in opening up LinkedIn pages. We've supported them in writing articles because we want to support and sponsor them when they get to that level to be attractive to future employers. The, the, the truth is the future of work has, stayed, has changed. You've got to have skill sets beyond what you've studied. And we have to develop that and put that in place in the educational system. Many of our students or many of the students I've come across in Nigeria have never even had a chance to go to a job. How do you then begin to understand what it means to interact with others in a workplace if you've not had that experience except for a six month IT whilst you're working in university, whilst you're studying in university? Anywhere else in the work, they start working at a young age, even when they don't need to earn money. They do it as a way of developing that muscle that allows them to communicate with people, to present, to gain skills, to have confidence, to be motivated, to be around others, to grow and develop their personhood. You know, people are hired to do jobs, but very often when they are sacked from the jobs, it's not about not being able to do it or perform. It's about the other skills, those employable skills, those personal skills, those stress and time management skills that they have not developed. And so we need to change how we prepare youth and also adults and many adults who just don't have the skill set. We need to think about how we bring that into the forefront so that they're more um, appealing and attractive. And if they are working with people beyond the Nigerian shores, they've got a global perspective of what the expectation is. The expectation is not to come into your office and sit down and watch television you know, throughout the day and then move paper from one desk to another. That's not work. I was just gonna say, I, first of all, thank you so much, Ma. Um, I've worked here in Nigeria. I've worked in um, New York and I've worked in London. Currently, I'm, I'm doing two jobs in London for the past five months, been working remotely, it's still in Nigeria. And I realized that the motivation to work, especially here, is not there. And it has nothing to do with the Nigerian youth. Using myself as an example, okay, maybe not totally nothing, um, the blame it shouldn't go to um, 100% to the Nigerian youth. First of all, we'll talk about the culture, the environment, the background, how things are done, how the work environment is here. For instance, in the UK, when I started as, um, I just started, I think as a field worker, um, I knew nothing about the job, absolutely nothing. But the company trained me with their own money. And two months later, they realized, oh, you went to school. Can I see your CV? Da, 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 da. And then I was brought back into the office as a clerk. Three, four months later, I was made a care coordinator, which is the position I currently apply. Um, I currently, um, I'm working to date. And now in that time, I was encouraged. I was, I was pushed. I was 
um, where my knowledge um, was not enough to carry out to do this job, there's always someone there, the head, who's ready to tell you, okay, you know what, we're going to organize training for you. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. There's always this push to get you to your destination. Now, this is an environment that supports this, that encourages you. Now, back home, our environment doesn't really support this because of maybe maybe lack of um, um, employment opportunities. So there are always one million person waiting to take over from you if you are not uh, doing what you are supposed to do. So the Nigerian um, a graduate has to do double because I see us doing better out there. But when it comes back here, it feels like we're not ready to leave or we're not ready to do anything or we're lazy. But when we go out there, we do everything. Like you could go to a university in Nigeria and then you can't even come out with a two-one. But you go out there and you see people make first class and we know they don't play. So maybe the, the fourth is entirely not ours. Maybe it's the 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 um the environment or the culture or the working system. So a lot has to change and from the system and also and then there has to be mentors who are really or intentional. Like I have a mentor who is intentional, uh Peter Aman Boyo. He's intentional about my work, my life, how it grows, what are you doing now? What are you not doing now? You need to be with this kind of people and not this kind of people, you know. So when the Nigerian youth really have someone directing them, because I cannot be working in an office in Nigeria. Today's 25th. I just got paid from my job in the UK. How many Nigerian youth working even harder than myself will be paid at the end of this month? So these are things that should motivate someone. And some of us went to school picking courses that are available because the admission is not there. So whatever is available, the school gives you, you want to be a lawyer, the school gives you go and study theater art. And then you went there. You don't even know what you, because you don't want to feel like a failure, your mates are in school. So you have to go. And then ASU makes you do seven years for a four years course. So you're already feeling like you're failed in life. You are coming from a place where your mental health is nothing to write home about, but you're not even allowed to show weakness because you have to be an African. You have to be strong. So this, this course um, are not really, please, Ma, I don't know if you can, you talk, talk us through as an African, as, as personally, as an African you, what do you think we need to change or we need to do individually? I get your point, Felix. Um, um, I also think that, sorry, Dr. Amma, I, I also think that um, it, it's a good day for a podcast now that uh, I'm hearing that you're just in case. But let me take um, Peter Amman Boyle's <laughs> comments very um, quickly. He said this earlier. He says, I also believe a vast majority of people are in fields that they have not chosen or have passion for, but have either been pressured to study university or that was, or that was what the, was available at the time. Thus, they are not interested in pursuing that field of work. Um, I agree with um, Uncle P 100%. I remember that while I was in school, I studied agriculture. What I'm doing right now has nothing to do with agriculture. However, I think that there's a thin line between education and literacy. I think that irrespective of what you study in school, um, if you go through the discipline of education in school, it will help you to find your path, even if it has nothing entirely to do with what you have on your certificate. So I agree that many people perhaps are in jobs today that they are not passionate about, but that's what they got because of what they studied in school. But I think that it's because they are not well educated. I think that if you're educated, you will find your way into the field where you're passionate about. 
I never started yeah. mass communicating in school. And it's amazing when people ask me, how do you do it? I'm like, well, I was in school. So for me, education is not just what you're taught in the classroom. It's also education is exposure to meeting people. It's, um, it's learning new things, not necessarily what the lecturer taught you. I think that there's a lot of open-mindedness that is required for every young Nigeria who wants to push in. It is not your regular environment. It is not, you know, the standard. But there are many young Nigerians who are making it big in this part of the world, irrespective of all the challenges. However, I'd like us to turn this conversation to very pragmatic means for young people who are watching this. I've heard a lot of people talk about mentorship. I've heard um, BC talk about the new norm as regards um, virtual, virtual working. But I'd like to ask the question, how do we, how do you get mentored? You know, uh, um, a lot of people approach me in this regard. And I think that perhaps many young people are not getting it right. Bearing in mind that many of the sexual abuses that we have reported today in the workplaces are from issues like this. I'm not sure young people know that they can be mentored by reading people's work. They can be mentored by researching what others have done. Many people perhaps consider that until I meet this person, until I get this person's attention, then I cannot be mentored. This is perhaps going to help us clarify how we can bridge this gap of mentorship in this regard. I mean, I, I, I think you're very correct um, that people think that face-to-face um, -face is mentoring, my biggest mentor in the world. And I created a, a, a huge piece of public speaking um, content around I've never met him. I read his work, his works beyond Rustin. And reading his work just transformed my life. And I went digging for everything about him. And his words that he wrote or his, the videos and things that he said, I've become a major force in my life. And that's what, what I have become. And then you will see politicians who talk about, you know, philosophers or, or other politicians that have inspired their lives. And these are people that I've never met. Um, but for you to do that, you have to read. So <laughs> you, have to, you have to develop a culture of reading, which again, it, um, it's kind of scars in, in, in the context. And it goes back to something fundamental that Dr. Arma said that we're not picking on, curiosity. You see, the, the, you can never, you can never break the forces that the challenges and the obstacles you're facing in life if you're not curious. And if you want to attain, if you want to have access to, to mentorship, right, to mentoring, you have to be curious because that's the only way you can come out of anything that you find yourself. So I, I, I think we also need to be, for those of us that have the expertise and would love to, we also have to be intentional about making it accessible to people and letting people know where they can go to and how they can, how they can go for it. And I think another thing is that people also always think that your mentor must always share your worldview. And that for me is a big mistake that people make. 
And that is why some people would not go for some people because, oh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a left wing politically and this person is, is right wing. So I, I don't have anything. This person cannot mention me or I'm a Christian. And in the context of Nigeria, and this person is a Muslim. So <laughs> this person cannot mentor me. Yeah. And that's what not that's what mentor, that's not what mentoring is about. Because you really do not have to completely share the same view with the person that is there for you. But you know that you can gain something from it. And you can whatever that person has to offer you will challenge you and will make you curious about what you know and in a way that will make you better. So People have to know what is in it for them in terms of mentoring. People have to know that, you know, what that it also demands that they need to do something in about it. They need to be very curious. And they also have to know that your mentors do not have to be there with you face to face. And they don't even have to be alive. Read, be curious, and research. Absolutely. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you said that. There is an element that I wanted to bring in very briefly. Um, and part the two things I want to say. The first one is networking. We didn't speak about networking, but the reality is sometimes you have to network to meet the right mentor. And you, mentorship is truly about a relationship. It is a relationship with someone that you see a spark in or someone that you wish to model a, a behavior or a way to get through to another level, or someone who can inspire and give you knowledge. So really and truly, there has to be the desire to build some sort of a relationship with another person uh, and have a keen interest in something that is tangible. And that can occur in a school setting. It can occur in the community. I have many mentresses, you know, and mentors, mentresses being female, mentors being male. That's just the way I distinguish them. And I know when to go to whom for what it is that I need. And I may communicate with them once a month, once every six months, once a year. But when I do go to them, I am curious about something and I can have an honest, open discussion. Authenticity is another thing. Be authentic in your communication with people, particularly those that you wish to have as mentors. Because if you're not authentic with them, if you're not truthful, then it's going to lose its flavor and they're going to be um, disengaged um, because it's not an authentic relationship. So it can't be one of those, I need this and I want that. There has to be a mutual, respectful and curious, that's really important relationship. Um, to Felix's question earlier about what can we change, we need to change the educational system so that our educational system in Nigeria mirrors what we see everywhere else, where mentorship starts at an early age. You know, the teacher that recognizes that the child likes a certain, or has a certain skill and encourages that, that is mentorship. A parent who recognizes as a child is interested in, in something that's different, unusual, and encourages that, that is a form of mentorship. You're encouraging that child to start to build that muscle. And when you go to university, when you're in school, 
do a little bit more than just reading the textbook that's given to you. Do a little bit more than just regurgitating information. Curiously ask you, even your instructors, how did you get here? What did you do? Or ask people as you walk around, what are you doing? How do you get there? It is unfortunate that many people are studying courses that of no interest to them, but it doesn't stop you from being curious as to where you wish to find yourself in within the workforce and how you want to live a fulfilling life because that goes back to finding the right form of employment having a mentor in that field and also seeking that sponsorship which helps pull you up to the various levels as felix has identified in his job he started somewhere they saw something in him they're supporting him and he is growing within his organization so that is absolutely um, important when you start looking at the whole field of employability mentorship and and um and sponsorship. We, we all should have sponsors because our sponsors identify in something that we do. They can seal, they can see the skill set, and they also want us to rise and, and move forward within that chosen field and career that you have. This is the Thinking Reimagine podcast, sponsored by Allied Empowerment. Allied Empowerment Consultancy offers leadership and innovation through bespoke human development solutions, brain-based leadership, and coaching. Allied Empowerment empowers business leaders, teams, and individuals to intentionally accentuate desired outcomes built on trust, curiosity, psychological safety, engagement, and communication. Allied Empowerment, thriving in a sustainable and value manner. Hello, everyone. Welcome again. It's the Thinking Read Martin podcast. I am Nisha Niogintoye. A lot has been said about unemployment, but on the show today, we're talking about employability, which I believe has to do with um, the capacity of getting a job and keeping it, which is also very key because um, many people have the opportunity, but they not just know how to get the jobs. So we're looking at employability, we're looking at mentorship, as well as sponsorship. So what are your thoughts? Keep the comments rolling. Dr. Amma, how are you today? I am very well, thank you. And absolutely excited that we're having this conversation because as you know, COVID has really disrupted how we work, how we live. And we're at the point now, certain keywords keep popping up, you know, whether people, whether it's the great resignation, which I call the great awakening or the great exit um, for mental health issues or the need to do work that's more meaningful um, to being able to secure employment. So it's important for us. And I'm glad that we're having a conversation today on um, employability, because what are the skills that people really need in order to work and succeed and have a sense of fulfillment, which usually keeps them in the workplace. And then when you talk about mentorship, you know, isn't it wonderful when you have a mentor that can guide you and help you grow within your chosen um, career field? And of course, sponsorship. I know that you can speak eloquently to those two subjects, given the the very um, keen mentor that you have had, um, Nifemi. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this diverse and dynamic conversation today with our panelists. Absolutely, you're 
I'm also glad you could make it because um, you're a chief mentor yourself. So you're bringing your years of experience to be in this conversation. We have um, BC Alamy joining the conversation and Flat Felix. Hi, BC. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's really lovely to be part of, of this conversation today. And I just wanted to add to something that uh, Dr. Amas said. Um, as someone who employs people um, in Nigeria, I'm really, really excited to, to talk about this, to share my frustration, but also to share the, the lessons that I've learned over the past six years um, that I've now, I think at this stage, I have about seven people that are employed under me. And it has not been easy to, to get to this point where I have somebody that has been with me now for the past three going to four years and being able to keep that or already at the moment we're recruiting and I'm reading CVs and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, so it's about, it's about that. But also, it's just not so much about employability, just that. It's about retainship as well. So how do you retain the best talents that you have in the, in the age of brain drain and people are moving up? But it's also about the, new, uh, the future of work, right? What, what, what does it mean? Do we always have to be in the office? Are we becoming remote workers now? What are the systems or strategies that are going to tap into the strength of um, the labor markets in a place like Nigeria. So I'm quite excited about this conversation. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, Bissy, exactly. I have to say, I understand that frustration because so many of the, okay, to use this phrase, university graduates just don't have those skill sets and you're having to guide them and mold them and they resist it and uh, they haven't had work experience. They don't even know what it means to come to the office and to be productive or how to communicate or how to work as a team. So this is a very um, salient conversation to have at this point in time with everything going on. Yeah. Hi, Philip. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I can hear you in the, uh, in the family. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let's kick start the conversation, Felix. So a lot they say have changed, you know, from the traditional jobs, um, Ms. Uh, Dr. Amma just talked about um, post-COVID reality. Uh, but what do you think are those principal components, particularly when it comes to the ability to get a job in our current reality? Uh, I think, um, um, like Dr. Amma said, is, um, we have realized, I mean, post-COVID, uh, a lot of things are now possible. There are a lot of um, organizations or offices that didn't know that they, I mean, staff didn't even know that they can actually work from home. Um, some jobs never exploit this, um, explored, sorry, this um, aspect of um, reality. But with COVID, we realized that this is actually possible and it was even more effective as um, staffs were, as studies showed, more productive working from home than even coming into the office. Um, however, with um, trends and developments and all of this in play, it's become more, I think, more difficult for people to even, uh, again, gain employment because uh, the standards we are looking for um, or employers are looking for people are not um, 
um, are not ready, like Dr. Obama rightly said earlier, people are not ready to get trained or to listen enough to, uh, like um, BC said earlier, you, uh, you have to read through some applications or some uh, applications of um, applicants to realize how bad, I mean, how badly things are, are getting. So people really um, are getting stuck. It's not, I think I like the fact that um, where the conversation is currently going, I mean, the two topics of what we're looking at today, which say something uh, employability and mentorship, because uh, mentorship for currently right now has a, a whole, a big role to play in all of this because people are looking at mental health, um, people are looking at um, this, this get rich quick um, scheme. Nobody really wants to work. So even those who are willing to work, the encouragement, they need too much, especially in our current climate, like our society in Nigeria, if we have to bring it home. So it's really not even encouraging to even to want to work. So the, the conversation is huge and it's big and it's not something like I can actually, so I'm, I'm actually like everyone excited to listen to this. I'm more here as a listener today than just to, because I, I, I'm a startup, a startup myself. I'm an entrepreneur who's just getting into business. So I'm looking at mentors here. I have my mentor here speaking, I'm listening, and I'm going to learn a lot from Dr. Aman. Basically, people who have done this and just learn, and I'm basically here to learn today. That's what I'm going to say. Well, Felix, thank you for joining us. You know, I do want to bring this caveat up, and I think it's important in this discussion. Um, the experience of um, employment globally varies, depends on where you are. In some areas, the digital age has been embraced and is possible. But when you bring it to the African continent and further down to Nigeria, one has to be realistic about the limitations that occur, whether it's the fact that there are not enough jobs because we've got issues of underemployment or that they do not even have the tools that they need to work remotely or the fact that there is still a cultural belief that you have to be in an office in order for you to quote unquote, quote, be productive. Um, but having said that, there's also the reality that um, working does require the formation of relationships. You know, you need to have a relationship for you to work. So making sure that you have those people skills, those human skills that enhance the potential to be employable is important, as well as having a mentor who will support you in the process of developing your career path and being on the right track so that you can have promotions, so you can you know, at some point in time, recognize that you've reached the zenith at some companies and you need to shift somewhere else to grow further. But I, I do think that there's some issues here that could be um, particular to the culture in Nigeria as well as beyond the Nigerian. So we, we tend to have a global view on this platform, but we certainly recognize that um, there's a bit of a focus here in terms of Nigeria as a whole. But I would like to hear from Bissy what his thoughts were because you know he's going through all these CVs and I've been through this process with the CVs. Everything looks nice and glossy. So Bissy, share with us what's going on with those CVs you're going, you're coming through. 
Yeah, but uh, before I, I go to the CVs, I actually wanted to uh, take up three things that, that you said that I think are very uh, poignant. Um, that is one, remote working. Since we started the foundation in Nigeria, we, we don't have an office and it was very deliberate. It was very, very deliberate for us, one, in the area of security, not for us to have an office, um, but two, I was very determined to change the culture of work right from the onset. And with my, with my, um, with my new business, I'm using the same method. I want to change the way that work happens. And this was long before COVID. The foundation started in 2016. So long before COVID, I was very clear in my mind that I'm not going to have an office space. So I questioned myself in a country like Nigeria, what, what do I need to do? I think the issue with remote working is, is of two things, right? And you said one of them is control. Um, a lot of Nigeria uh, leadership format is built around control. The ability to be able to see your staff, your staff and know that they are doing what you want them to do, which is about trust. Because you don't trust them, you cannot let them out of your sight. You, you have to be there with them. You, you, and because we, we build a culture, and it's a global thing, but the world is, is over learning it now, or is unlearning it. We build a culture of nine to five of expectant productivity. And we don't understand that. Maybe somebody cannot be productive between nine and 11 o'clock, but a person can be productive from 12 o'clock till 6 p.m. And that's okay. So the, the, the concept of the office hour needs to change. So what, what did I do to share my, my first experience? I realized that one, everybody in my team will need a computer. Everybody has a laptop. I realized that everybody will need internet. So we bought dongle for everybody. And every month we top up that uh, dongle so that everybody has got internet on their phone, uh, on, their, on their dongle so that they can use their computer to connect with it. And we are very specific about what we consider as working hours. And we see there is no fixed time of working hours. If there's a project that needs to be done, you get the project done. You tell us when you can finish the project and you get it done. But we put into consideration, you know, light and all of those things. And, and this is the flexibility that we can incorporate in Nigeria. Uh, I don't think this is a global thing, but I, like I said, I think that the, the issue is predominantly because employer, employers want to control. And because they want to control, they want to see what you're doing. And so if you're not productive at the time that they want you to be productive, it affects your own mental health as well, because you see yourself as a failure. And then they put pressure on you to say you have nine to five and you must do everything nine to five. But you might have an idea eight to, eight to 10 at night and you want to implement those ideas. I, are you being allowed to, or you cannot do that? And there's no sense of ownership from people. So you work in Nigeria, they don't even pay your salary. And when they pay, they pay you, you know, piecemeal. So you don't have a commitment to work. But in some cases where people do have commitment to work, they see their job as something that they are passionate about. And it doesn't matter, they can even pick up their computer and work on a Saturday or on a Sunday. It's because they have a level of commitment. And employers or leaders will have to rethink the relationship that they have with power and with control when it comes to management. Now, sorry for going on, on a rant, but <laughs> to answer the question around um, 
the CV. It was very interesting because we are recruiting for three positions. And one of them who happens to be a lawyer was graduated about two or three years ago, sent in a CV. And I was talking to my colleague there, our head of HR yesterday, said, can you understand what this person is saying? And we just couldn't piece together the English this person was trying to put together. And this is a law graduate that graduated about three or four years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm not one that, I'm not, I don't have the best spoken English in the world, but I just, it just saddens me that the level of undereducation that we have, and, and we're competing on a global market, Dr. Dr. Amar, because I have somebody that I mentor in Lagos who works in tech, who is working from Ibadan for a fashion house in Germany. That is the future of work. It's based in Ibadan. He has his computer, he has his everything, and he runs, he works for a company in Germany. And we have to be able to build young people to understand that the world is open because somebody can be in their bedroom in London and be running a business in Nigeria and be working for a multinational business in Nigeria. That's the future of work. And we have to be able to meet up to that demand. For now, I don't think the youth, the Nigerian youth are really ready for that. You know, okay, um, this particular law graduates uh, who applied for a job, I think it's too generic to put every Nigerian youth together in one pool. No, I'm not putting every Nigerian youth uh, in one fold, but we have to be very realistic that the future of work is remote. Um, and the current situation for Nigerian youth in terms of being cultured or being, um, being nurtured, or I don't even know which other word to use for it, is that you have to go to an office, right? Um, and you have to be seen, and that is the, your level of productivity. But we are not going to also take away from the fact that ASU is going on strike. ASU has always been on strike. Nigerian, Nigerian students spend more time off school than they spend in school, right? And these are the people that are going to compete for international jobs. It is, it is not, it is not rocket science. It's not going to work because you look at uh, a 20-year-old undergrad in the UK who is in front of his or our computer, who is answering questions at, who is 10 years, light years ahead of his or our compatriot in Nigeria. It's the reality. This is not a matter of, you know, trying to blacklist Nigerian youth. It's the reality of the world that we are seeing. And until something is done about it, the youth are not, the Nigerian youth are not going to be ready for international competition. It, it, it's a fact. You know what, Nifa, uh, what, sorry, um, if I could just pick up from there, what Bissi is referring to is employability in the true sense of it, which goes beyond having a degree, having a certificate. Nigeria is very good at presenting, graduating students who have, I've said this many times, have the skill set to regurgitate what has been given to them. They take copious notes and they present it and the, the professor, the instructor wants to see what has been delivered in the lecture. And so they graduate 
but they don't always come out of university with this skill set that sets them apart so that they can get the job and be able to perform that job. So simple things like teamwork, confidence building, um, critical thinking, curiosity, motivation. These are not things that are part of the fiber of learning in the culture. Um, it, they actually sort of squelch it and sort of diminish the value of being curious, diminish the value of being motivated. They, they don't think outside the box. And I, I say to many of our mentees all the time, open your aperture. Look at what is going around you. Teach yourself things. Develop your skills. Because very often, you get hired for some of the external skills that you're not thinking about that you've put on your CV or somebody sees. And those are the things that make you a more rounded individual and more attractive to an employer. Um, the quality of the English, well, I, I don't think he's far off because I have been working with the female service students now for over a year. I've seen what they can do. We've had discussions. We've helped them to write CVs. We've supported them in opening up LinkedIn pages. We've supported them in writing articles because we want to support and sponsor them when they get to that level to be attractive to future employers. The, the, the truth is the future of work has, stayed, has changed. You've got to have skill sets beyond what you've studied. And we have to develop that and put that in place in the educational system. Many of our students or many of the students I've come across in Nigeria have never even had a chance to go to a job. How do you then begin to understand what it means to interact with others in a workplace if you've not had that experience except for a six month IT whilst you're working in university, whilst you're studying in university? Anywhere else in the work, they start working at a young age, even when they don't need to earn money. They do it as a way of developing that muscle that allows them to communicate with people, to present, to gain skills, to have confidence, to be motivated, to be around others, to grow and develop their personhood. You know, people are hired to do jobs, but very often when they are sacked from the jobs, it's not about not being able to do it or perform. It's about the other skills, those employable skills, those personal skills, those stress and time management skills that they have not developed. And so we need to change how we prepare youth and also adults and many adults who just don't have the skill set. We need to think about how we bring that into the forefront so that they're more um, appealing and attractive. And if they are working with people beyond the Nigerian shores, they've got a global perspective of what the expectation is. The expectation is not to come into your office and sit down and watch television you know, throughout the day and then move paper from one desk to another. That's not work. I was just gonna say, I, first of all, thank you so much, Ma. Um, I've worked here in Nigeria. I've worked in um, New York and I've worked in London. Currently, I'm, I'm doing two jobs in London for the past five months, been working remotely, it's still in Nigeria. 
And I realized that the motivation to work, especially here, is not there. And it has nothing to do with the Nigerian youth. Using myself as an example, okay, maybe not totally nothing. Um, the blame, it shouldn't go to 100% um, to the Nigerian youth. First of all, we talk about the culture, the environment, the background, how things are done, how the work environment is here. For instance, in the UK, when I started as, um, I just started, I think as a field worker, um, I knew nothing about the job, absolutely nothing. But the company trained me with their own money. And two months later, they realized, oh, you went to school, can I see your CV? And then I was brought back into the office as a clerk. Three, four months later, I was Medicare coordinator, which is the position I currently apply. Um, uh, currently, um, I'm working to date. And now in that time, I was encouraged. I was, I was pushed. I was um, where my knowledge um, was not enough to carry out to do this job. There's always someone there, the head, who's ready to tell you, okay, you know what? We're going to organize training for you. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. There's always this push to get you to your destination. Now, this is an environment that supports this, that encourages you. Now, back home, our environment doesn't really support this because of maybe maybe lack of um, um, employment opportunities. So there are always one million person waiting to take over from you if you are not uh, doing what you are supposed to do. So the Nigerian um, a graduate has to do double because I see us doing better out there. But when it comes back here, it feels like we are not ready to leave or we are not ready to do anything or we're lazy. But when we go out there, we do everything. Like you could go to a university in Nigeria and then you can't even come out with a two-one but you go out there and you see people make first class and we know they don't play. So maybe the, the fourth is entirely not ours. Maybe it's the, 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 um, the environment or the culture or the working system. So a lot has to change and from the system and also, and then there has to be mentors who are really, or intentional. Like I have a mentor who is intentional, uh, Peter Aman Boyo, he's intentional about my work, my life, how it grows. What are you doing now? What are you not doing now? You need to be with this kind of people and not this kind of people, you know? So when the Nigerian youth really have someone directing them, because I cannot be working in an office in Nigeria. Today's 25th, I just got paid for my job in the UK. How many Nigerian youth working even harder than myself will be paid at the end of this month? So these are things that should motivate someone. And some of us went to school picking courses that are available because the admission is not there. So whatever is available, the school gives you, you want to be a lawyer, the school gives you go and study theater art. And then you went there. You don't even know what you, because you don't want to feel like a failure, your mates are in school. So you have to go. And then ASU makes you do seven years for a four years course. So you're already feeling like you're failed in life. You are coming from a place where your mental health is nothing to write home about, but you're not even allowed to show weakness because you have to be an African, you have to be strong. So this, this course um, are not really, please, Ma, I don't know if you can, you talk, talk us through as an African, as, as personally, as an African youth, what do you think we need to change or we need to do individually? I get your point, Felix. Um, um, I also think that, sorry, Dr. Amma, I. I also think that um, it, it's a good day for a podcast now that uh, I'm hearing that you're just in case. But let me take um, Peter Amon Boyer's comments very um, quickly. He said this earlier. He says, I also believe a vast majority of people are in fields that they have not chosen or have passion for, but have either been pressured to study university 
or that was or that was what was available at the time. Thus, they are not interested in pursuing that field of work. Um, I agree with um, Uncle P, hundred percent. I remember that while I was in school, I studied agriculture. What I'm doing right now has nothing to do with agriculture. However, I think that there's a thin line between education and literacy. I think that irrespective of what you study in school, um, if you go through the discipline of education in school, it will help you to find your path, even if it has nothing entirely to do with what you have on your certificates. So I agree that many people perhaps are in jobs today that they are not passionate about, but that's what they got because of what they studied in school. But I think that it's because they're not well-educated. I think that if you're educated, you will find your way into the field where you're passionate about. I never studied yeah. mass communication in school. And it's amazing when people ask me, how do you do it? I'm like, well, I was in school. So for me, education is not just what you're taught in the classroom. It's also education is exposure, meeting people. It's, um, it's learning new things, not necessarily what the lecturer taught you. I think that there's a lot of open-mindedness that is required for every young Nigerian who wants to push you. It is not your regular environment. It is not, you know, the standard. But there are many young Nigerians who are making it big in this part of the world, irrespective of all the challenges. However, I'd like us to turn this conversation to very pragmatic means for young people who are watching this. I've heard a lot of people talk about mentorship. I've heard um, BC talk about the new norm as regards um, virtual, virtual working. But I'd like to ask the question, how do we, how do you get mentored? You know, uh, um, a lot of people approach me in this regard. And I think that perhaps many young people are not getting it right. Bearing in mind that many of the sexual abuses that we have reported today in the workplaces are from issues like this. I'm not sure young people know that they can be mentored by reading people's words. They can be mentored by researching what others have done. Many people perhaps consider that until I meet this person, until I get this person's attention, then I cannot be mentored. This is perhaps gonna help us clarify how we can bridge this gap of mentorship in this regard. I mean, I, I, I think you're very correct um, that people think that face-to-face um, -face is mentoring, my biggest mentor in the world. And I created a, a, a huge piece of public speaking um, content around, I've never met him. I read his work, his works, Beyond Rustin, and reading his work just transformed my life. And I went digging for everything about him. And his words that he wrote or his, the videos or things that he said, I've become a major force in my life. And that what, what I have become. And then you will see politicians who talk about, you know, philosophers or, or other politicians that have inspired their lives. And these are people that I've never met. Um, but for you to do that, you have to read. So <laughs> you have to you have to develop a culture of reading, which again it's um 
is kind of scarce in, in, in the context. And it goes back to something fundamental that Dr. Arma said that we're not picking on, curiosity. You see, the, the, you can never, you can never break the forces that the challenges and the obstacles you're facing in life if you're not curious. And if you want to attain, if you want to have access to, to mentorship, right? To mentoring, you have to be curious because that's the only way you can come out of anything that you find yourself. So I, I, I think we also need to be, for those of us that have the expertise and would love to, we also have to be intentional about making it accessible to people and letting people know where they can go to and how they can how they can go for it. And I think another thing is that people also always think that your mentor must always share your worldview. And that for me is a big mistake that people make. And that is why some people would not go for some people because, oh, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a left wing politically and this person is, is right wing. So I, I don't have anything. This person cannot mentor me or I'm a Christian. And in the context of Nigeria, and this person is a Muslim, so <laughs> this person cannot mentor me. Yeah. And that's what not that's what mentor that's not what mentoring is about, because you really do not have to completely share the same view with the person that is there for you. But you know that you can gain something from it, and you can whatever that person has to offer you will challenge you, and will make you curious about what you know, and in a way that will make you better. So. People have to know what is in it for them in terms of mentoring. People have to know that, you know, what that it also demands that they need to do something in about it. They need to be very curious. And they also have to know that your mentors do not have to be there with you face to face. And they don't even have to be alive. Read, be curious, and research. Absolutely. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you said that. There is an element that I wanted to bring in very briefly, um, and part the two things I want to say. The first one is networking. We didn't speak about networking, but the reality is sometimes you have to network to meet the right mentor, and you, mentorship is truly about a relationship. It is a relationship with someone that you see a spark in or someone that you wish to model a, a behavior or a way to get through to another level or someone who can inspire and give you knowledge. So really and truly, there has to be the desire to build some sort of a relationship with another person uh, and have a keen interest in something that is tangible. And that can occur in a school setting. It can occur in the community. I have many mentresses, you know, and mentors, mentresses being female, mentors being male. That's just the way I distinguish them. And I know when to go to whom for what it is that I need. And I may communicate with them once a month, once every six months, once a year. But when I do go to them, I am curious about something and I can have an honest, open discussion. Authenticity is another thing. Be authentic in your communication with people, particularly those that you wish to have as mentors. Because if you're not authentic with them, if you're not truthful, 
then it's going to lose its flavor and they're going to be um, disengaged um, because it's not an authentic relationship. So it can't be one of those, I need this and I want that. There has to be a mutual, respectful and curious, that's really important relationship. Um, to Felix's question earlier about what can we change, we need to change the educational system so that our educational system in Nigeria mirrors what we see everywhere else, where mentorship starts at an early age. You know, the teacher that recognizes that the child likes a certain, or has a certain skill and encourages that, that is mentorship. A parent who recognizes as a child is interested in, in something that's different, unusual, and encourages that, that is a form of mentorship. You're encouraging that child to start to build that muscle. And when you go to university, when you're in school, do a little bit more than just reading the textbook that's given to you. Do a little bit more than just regurgitating information. Curiously ask you, even your instructors, how did you get here? What did you do? Or ask people as you walk around, what are you doing? How do you get there? It is unfortunate that many people are studying courses that of no interest to them, but it doesn't stop you from being curious as to where you wish to find yourself in within the workforce and how you want to live a fulfilling life. Because that goes back to finding the right form of employment, having a mentor in that field and also seeking that sponsorship, which helps pull you up to the various levels as Felix has identified in his job. He started somewhere, they saw something in him, they're supporting him and he is growing within his organization. So that is absolutely um, important when you start looking at the whole field of employability, mentorship and, and, um, and sponsorship. We, we all should have sponsors because our sponsors identify in something that we do. They can, seal, they can see the skill set and they also want us to rise and, and move forward within that chosen field and career that you have. This has been a Thinking Reimagined podcast. The executive producer is Dr. Amma, co-producer Peter Amon Boyle, and it is moderated by Nifemi Okuntoyin. The podcast is edited by Nelkan and supervised by Doon Sokwa. Thinking Reimagined emphasizes the importance of transformational conversations which have as their aim the bringing about of the rich diversity of thoughts and most importantly, powerful and applicable effective solutions and change. The views, opinions and contributions of the panelists are exclusively theirs and do not reflect the opinions of thinking reimagined producers or personnel. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening, listening and we, we hope you have enjoyed, enjoyed this episode. episode. We invite you to subscribe to Thinking Reimagined on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play and other outlets. We look forward to presenting another riveting episode next week. Thinking Reimagined Podcast is produced by Live Abundantly. We welcome your thoughts and invite you to visit our website leavesabundantly.com or you can follow us on social media 
and live abundantly. Eight. Thinking, Thinking reimagined, re changing, changing the, mindset the mindset for a better global, global society. society.